Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, an evolved perspective on life with dogs. Well, it's all Great to be here today. What a fine day to take your dog for a walk. Eric, wouldn't you agree? Actually. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Sometimes we say that and it might be stretching the truth a little bit. But mm-hmm. today there's absolutely no reason why you wouldn't want to get out there in this beautiful sunshine and uh, warm temperatures and take the doggy mm-hmm. somewhere new. I'm feeling spring. I know it's only the end of February, but I'm feeling it. I'm I ready. Think the groundhog was right this year. <laughs> well, good. And so what that means is that we have the Seattle Kennel Club Dog Show coming up soon, March 12th and 13th this year at CenturyLink Field Event Center. Uh, One of our favorite events all year long. It's definitely a big one as far as this area goes. And it's, um, you know, Darcy and I just recently watched Best in Show, which I've referenced a few times, of course, over the years on this show because it's like the all- the best dog movie I think now, ever made. Now, this has got to be like the thousandth time <laughs> that you've watched it, right? Yeah, probably. I don't even know. I'd be curious to know. I can't fathom how many times I have seen that movie in my lifetime, but it's been a lot. Um, and it's always great to see it. You know, when I do see it again, it's uh, it always is still so entertaining. I just adore that movie. And whenever I post about it on our Facebook page or whatever, people always get such a kick out of it as well. It is definitely a favorite among dog enthusiasts. Um, So we had our nephew visiting us last weekend uh, just up for a night to celebrate his birthday. And so we um, had gotten back to the house after dinner and uh, he had never seen it. So we were like, well, you're 13 and it is time that we introduce you to Best in Show. So we watched it and I think he found it amusing. (laughs) Forget about Star Wars, kid. Have I got the movie for (laughs) you? (laughs) Yeah. Wait till you see this one. Uh, we were, we were having fun with it. So, you know, the dog, the kennel, Seattle Kennel Club dog show is, is coming up here soon. And if you want to find out more information about that event, you can go to their website, which is seattledogshow.org. And, uh, you can see what all the specific, uh, you know, events and demonstrations and all that stuff's going on. Um, it is such a fun event for dog enthusiasts because there's so much there in addition to the the sort of best in show type competition, which is called confirmation. So that's where you see the breeds, all the different dog breeds going around um, in different rings by breed at first. Um, and they're all, you know, trotting around the ring and all that stuff. And they, you know, ultimately a winner of each breed is chosen. And then they compete in their various groups. So there's a terrier group, a hound group, sporting group, toy group, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and then each group has a winner. And then those winners go on to compete against each other for best in show. And there is a best in show uh, awarded at the end of each day. So it's Saturday and Sunday from 8 to 5 and at the end of each. So there's basically two separate uh, competitions as far as the confirmation goes. In addition to that, which is fun to watch, uh, there's agility going on. <clears throat> there's a big agility course that's set up all weekend and that's going on um, you know, throughout both days and lots of really wonderful demonstrations 
Uh, Miriam Rose, who's been a guest on the show um, a few times over the years, is, does a great nose work demonstration that I've participated in in the past. Uh, you know, police dogs and herding and even dancing with your dogs. There's all sorts of really fun stuff going on. So check it out. Um, I'm airing an interview that I did, I think, three years ago. Um, it was a story of at the Seattle Kennel Club Dog Show where I talked with uh, Janine Prindle, who uh, is partnered with a guide dog. She's legally blind, and she and her guide dog, Cranberry, actually do work outside of Cranberry's work as a guide dog for Janine, which is, you know, way more than most dogs do in the first place. But Janine and Cranberry do a lot of extracurricular activities. And so I'm going to air my interview with Janine here after, um, after I'm done here with this live, live segment segment, but I just wanted to, you know, one of the common, one of the themes of my conversation with Janine was about, you know, the, and I talk about this so much because it's so important and I come across this all the time with my clients in dog training and behavior is giving dogs an outlet for their mental energy, giving them work to do. Now, a dog like Cranberry, who is not only a guide dog for her blind handler, but, the, but Janine and Cranberry also compete in all sorts of other competitive obedience. Um, so it's, you know, Cranberry doesn't have this problem, but I meet a lot of dogs that really do have this problem of not having anything to spend their mental energy on. They are bored and it can really cause, it's not just like, oh, that poor dog, you know, he's bored and he's just feeling bored, which isn't fun, but it actually can really manifest in some pretty problematic behaviors, which is often the reason why I get called is because, and I'm thinking of this dog that I'm working with right now that I wanted to share with you guys. Um, his name is George and he's a Newfoundland puppy. So, I mean, he's like one, so he's huge. Um, and he's not sort of the, I guess, typical, if there's any such thing, uh, Newfie, where they're, they can be kind of mellow and easy. And he's got a lot of energy. And he uh, is a very smart, very active. And he's developed this really kind of bad problem of, um, he has a, a number of behaviors that are not desirable to his family. But uh, he does a lot of mouthing and sort of biting at clothing and hands and sleeves and uh, pawing at you. And he's very uh, overbearing and controlling with um, with attention and interaction. And he's a big dog. I mean, this is a Newfoundland. So, uh, you know, when he's doing it, it's, it's a much different experience than if it was, you know, a poodle or a pug or something like that, a small poodle or pug. So I got called out and I've had only two sessions with this dog so far. And we're going to be working together quite a bit over the next few weeks. So I'm going to be helping them kind of turn him around. And in the case for him, a lot of his behaviors, there's a couple main factors that that contribute to his really intense, uh, undesirable behaviors. Um, but one of them is really he's he's frustrated. He doesn't have, he's like not sure what to do with all of that energy and he's not he gets a lot of exercise, physical exercise. He has a dog walker that comes and takes him out every day in addition to the exercise that his family provides him. Um, 
but he doesn't have any work to do. He doesn't have any problems to solve. And I've talked about this. If you listen to the show consistently, because it is huge, so important for people to get. And so I'm just working with him on establishing some tools for his family to have to to direct him in a different way. So what's happening is that that energy in him that he wakes up with every day, where it's going is in these undesirable behaviors, mouthing, controlling. So the problem with his behavior is that when he does it to you, you can't make you can't get him to stop. And he's, you know, ripping your jacket or, you know, chewing on your bag or, you know, jumping on you or whatever. Um, And so that's really, you know, a huge, a huge problem for not only the family, but also anytime they have a guest over. Um, The other thing is that that's sort of interesting about this dynamic with him is that his behaviors, you know, not only for the human experience, but in the dog world are very disrespectful. So part of the problem for him is that he's not learned to, there's a lack of uh, experience that he's had that gives him a sense of respecting others. Um, He's just really all over the place and all over you. And um, so I had my initial session with them just to meet him and kind of figure out what was going on and work with them a little bit and kind of, you know, figure out what they needed, what this dog needed, because every dog is different. Um, and then I had my first set, my first session of just a working session with him yesterday and he did so well. He just, he mouthed me just a little bit at first, but I just was interacting with him the whole time of doing stuff with him and really praising him for the good stuff that he did for the right choices that he made the whole time so that the attention that he was getting was for the work that he was doing. And the good news is that he loves the work. Uh, So he, you know, if he had had his way, I would have stayed another two or three hours, I think, and kept working with him. He just loved it. Um, So I'm so psyched about that. And, you know, I'm I'm working with him again today, actually, after I leave here, uh, leave the studio here will be our second session. And I just can't wait to pick up with him again. And um, it's just another example. So many. I've been working with people and dogs uh, in the context of dog behavior and training for like 14 years now, full time. So I've literally had the opportunity to work with thousands of dogs and, and different dog-human combinations. And, you know, one again, it's one of these main themes that I see as this core imbalance for dogs is this lack of constructive outlet for their mental energy. And George the Newfie is is another, he's one of the more intense um, examples of this. And I think his size contributes to that, but uh, just really can't emphasize this enough. So as you're listening to my interview with Janine and Cranberry, and Cranberry is lucky to not have that problem with her owner for a number of reasons, but you'll hear we talk a lot about the value of of doing things with your dog and working with your dog. After all, we've been living together for 40,000 years is the most widely uh, recognized number among scientists. And we've been working together for that long up until very recently. So I just really encourage you to find some activities that you can do with your dog. And if you're not sure what those could be, perhaps you should check out the Seattle Kennel Club Dog Show for some great ideas. Uh, there's a whole lot going on there. And that this year is March 12th and 13th at CenturyLink Field Event Center here in Seattle. 
Uh, let's see, 8 to 5 p.m. both days, Saturday and Sunday. Remember, it's daylight savings that weekend, as always, so we do lose an hour. So remember to uh, set your clocks accordingly, uh, March 12th and 13th, the Seattle Kennel Club Dog Show. And uh, the website is seattledogshow.org if you want to check out more specifically what's going on. We're going to have a booth there all weekend. Please do come and say hi to us. I love to meet listeners, especially in person. Um, And also feel free to get in touch via email if you have ideas for shows or if you'd like a free dog show car sticker. Host at dogradioshow.com is my direct email as well. So look forward to seeing you in a few weeks at the Seattle Kennel Club Dog Show and enjoy my interview with Janine Prindle, a woman who I'm going to be talking with today on the show who I have on the line. Her name is Janine Prindle, and she has a guide dog. Her guide dog's name is Cranberry. Janine is legally blind. Janine, welcome to the dog show. Thank you. Uh, So excited to talk to you today and uh, share your story with our listeners. It's really incredible, and I'm so thrilled. I wanted to thank uh, Randy Green, who's uh, one of the writers or the writer for the Seattle Kennel Club. Um, He does all the articles and book reviews, and he's also uh, in charge of their media contacts. And Randy, uh, I'm so glad that he did, connected me with you. And you just have such an incredible story. You and Cranberry, who's your guide dog, will be competing uh, this weekend at the Seattle Kennel Club Dog Show. And you also have a pretty exciting history of competing with Cranberry. Yeah, she's done really well. So what will you be doing? um, Well, okay, so where to start? (laughs) So much to talk about. First of all, let's talk about what Cranberry does for you as a guide dog. Okay. Well, being visually impaired, um, I have absolutely no peripheral vision. I do have a little bit of central vision. So she really watches out for my peripheral areas. Mm -hmm. And if I am walking down a sidewalk and there is a little lift in the sidewalk from a tree root or a little broken spot in the sidewalk, she will stop and indicate that to me. Mm. I'll find it with my foot, and then I'll tell her to move on. She also will um, watch for anything that might be above my head. Mm. And if if there's a tree branch or anything like that that I might bump my head on, she'll stop. And quite often, I'll look below me and feel with my foot. Why did she stop? And um, if there's nothing below me, then I'll feel above me to see if there's something above my head. Wow. So, At That alone, I mean, my gosh, we could talk all show about that. It's pretty impressive. It is. How long have you and Cranberry been partnered? We have been together for almost six years. Okay. Cranberry's almost seven and a half years old now. She was about 18 months when I got her. Okay. And where did you get her from, Guide Dogs for the Blind? Yes, she came from the Guide Dogs for the Blind organization. They have uh, two campuses, one in San Rafael, which is their main campus Mm -hmm. in California, and then they have a satellite campus out east of Portland in Boring, Oregon. Okay. And so, you know, they... They did all of this amazing training with her. And Cranberry is a yellow lab, that's right? That's correct. And um, and then at a, at a year and a half, she, you, you and her were, or she was placed with you, and then you underwent some training with her. Yes. I was uh, 
housed on the campus at Guidelines for the Blind for a month. Mm-hmm. And I got her, uh, I think, three days after I arrived on campus and then trained with her for the following four, uh, four weeks. Yeah. How was that for you? Well, it was a long time to be away from my family. Yeah. But um, I got this great dog, and I used learned how to use her. They treated me very well, and uh, the dog that they gave me is an incredible dog, mm-hmm. and so I'm very pleased with her. We have traveled all over the country, mm. and she does great. No matter what we're doing, she's game for it, mm. and uh, we've had a great time together. <clears throat> yeah, it really, um, you know, and we've talked about all sorts of different topics. We've talked about lots of uh, topics related to assistance dogs as well on the show, and I think it's... It's all really amazing work, and and I think that the work that guide dogs do is absolutely incredible. I mean, when you're talking about all the things that she's looking out for and how much trust there is between you and her and and just the incredible job that she does, it it kind of blows my mind. She has uh, actually, I don't know whether she actually saved my life, but she's come close to it on two different occasions, Mm. which has been really kind of... Uh, exciting and uh, <laughs> raises right. the anxiety level for a second, and then oh, good dog cranberry. Yeah, yeah. So, so you you worked with her for a month, and then you brought her home. Correct. And, and was it still a process after that to you know kind of get settled in with her in your home environment? And oh how- yeah, um, it, it takes between six months and a year to really feel like a team. Yeah. And so I waited six months before I started any additional serious training with her. Got it. Okay, so, so interesting. And um, now you are doing, now when you say you waited until you started doing additional training with her, what do you mean exactly by that? I enrolled Cranberry in some competition obedience classes. And uh, I, that's, that was about six months after we were put together. Mm -hmm. And um, we've been taking classes ever since. Mm Mm-hmm. So we've had a lot of uh, obedience classes under our belt and progressing difficulties. So yeah, she's learned all the um, exercises she needed to know up through utility obedience. Yeah. And is that something that you had to clear through guide dogs to make sure that it wasn't going to interfere somehow with her work as an assistance dog? Well, um, I have been showing dogs prior to getting cranberry mm-hmm. and really prior to losing my vision. Mm-hmm. Um, I did train my last dog prior to cranberry through utility, and I started out with reasonable vision when I started his obedience career. Mm-hmm. But by the time I was showing him in utility, I was basically showing as a blind handler at that point, too. Mm-hmm. So I knew I wanted to do it, and... Um, so when I was in class, I asked my training supervisor if I could do that. And he said, well, we want you to do obedience every day with your dogs. Mm-hmm. And usually it's a routine, which is sit and down and stay and come and heal. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to go beyond that. And he said that as long as it wasn't compromising her guide work, that that was fine. And actually, it's kind of enhanced it. Mm-hmm. Well, Very cool. So you've had to, as part of your... Um, you know, being paired with a dog through Guide Dogs with the Blind, it's there's a lot of um, sort of maintenance that you put into the working relationship to keep things uh, like to keep it like a well-oiled machine, so to speak. Correct. Yes, yes. 
Mm-hmm. I, I try to get out her out several times a week to work in our community, mm-hmm. just so she keeps the practice of stopping at curbs and mm-hmm. and avoiding potholes or cracks on the sidewalks and mm-hmm. things like that. And and she does that very well. I have had no yeah. difficulty maintaining that training. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's an interesting point to make also for people who live with pet dogs who may at one point or who are engaged in some sort of training exercise, whether it just be basic obedience or something else, is that even with the, the you know, the one of the best examples of a working dog, I mean, you've got this dog with an incredible temperament, um, incredible work ethic, you know, trainability, all that. We have a guide dog that even with that type of dog, the training still requires maintenance and that it's not something that you do and then you stop if that's you true. want it if you want it to be there for you in the future. Yes, that's true. Yeah. So, um, okay, well, we're going to take a quick break, Janine, and then when we come back, I want to talk more about specifically the different types of training that you've done with her and some of the exciting ways that you, I mean, you're actually competing with her, which is really incredible. Uh, So we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes on Alternative Talk 1150. Dog Show with Julie Forbes, an evolved perspective on life with dogs. Wednesday afternoons at 2 on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their two stores in Burien and Kirkland, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your door. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. I'm Julie Forbes, and my first choice for my pet's food is the Natural Pet Pantry. It's the educated choice. Wish your dog didn't hate going to the vet? Wish you were welcomed by a team who cared? Jet City Animal Clinic is an enjoyable respite from the same old thing. Dr. Anderson and her team have created a full-service facility that combines veterinary expertise with a comfortable style. Jet City Animal Clinic is located in Seattle's Capitol Hill neighborhood on 12th Avenue across from Seattle U. Bring your crazy questions, odd ideas, and alternative thinking. Jet City Animal Clinic will work with you to keep your furry family members healthy and happy. Traditionally educated with an open mind, call us at 206-329-0253 or email info at jetcityanimalclinic.com to make an appointment. Jet City Animal Clinic, a unique approach to the health care of your urban pet, a local family practice, jetcityanimalclinic.com. The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Never miss another episode. Listen to our podcast online at dogradioshow.com or download them for free on iTunes or SoundCloud. Open your ears, open your heart, open your mind. Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And now, back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Oh, 
Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. And we're back talking with Janine Prindle and her guide dog, Cranberry. Welcome back to the show, Janine. Thank you. Now, Janine, if you're just tuning in, is visually impaired, and she has a a guide dog whose name is Cranberry, and Cranberry is a a seven-and-a-half-year-old yellow lab female. And so we were just starting to talk, Janine, about the other training that you started to do with Cranberry, as if the training and being involved in being a guide dog wasn't enough for you. Um, You know, you, you actually... And you had done this in the past with dogs that you had had as well. Yes, correct. So you started with competition obedience classes. Right. And then where did you move from there? Well, um, we first entered the novice level, and that's the companion dog title that she earned. And that's the basic uh, beginning level, or maybe not so much the very beginning, but toward the beginning. There's a beginning novice title that dogs can also earn. We just started with the novice, and uh, in that class, she heals on and off leash, does a figure eight in a heel pattern, does a stand for exam while I tell her to stand, and then a judge goes over her briefly, and uh, we do a uh, recall command where the dog comes on command, and then we do a long sit and a long down in the presence of up to 12 other dogs, Mm. all sitting in a row with the handlers about 35 feet away from the dogs. Mm-hmm. That, that's the basic level. That's, and then that's after, the novice level. Right. <laughs> Got it. And then we also did the uh, kind of the, um, it's called the graduate novice level. It's kind of a level between novice and open, which is the second level. And uh, that kind of is a precursor to the open, and it very nicely moves into open. In open obedience, they do the uh, heel and figure eight, all of it's off-leash. Instead of doing a straight recall, they do a drop-on recall where you call your dog that while the dog is coming in toward you, you give the command to, to the dog to down, mm. and mm-hmm. the dog has to lay there and stay until you call your dog back in. Mm-hmm. The next exercise would be the retrieve on the flat where um, the handler has a dumbbell, throws the dumbbell, and then on command from the judge, the dog goes out and gets the dumbbell and brings it back to the handler. Mm-hmm. And after that is a retrieve over the high jump. You use the same dumbbell. You throw it over a high jump and then send the dog. And the dog has to clear the high jump on the way out to the dumbbell and the way back to the handler. Mm-hmm. And, of course, picks the dumbbell up and brings it. And then uh, the last individual exercise is uh, the broad jump, where the dog um, jumps a broad jump that is twice as wide as the high jump is high. And uh, the dog is sent um, kind of across the handler's body, but about three feet away um, over a broad jump and then returns to the front of the handler. Uh And then there is a group exercise and open as well where the uh, dogs do a sit, stay, and a down stay. The sit, stay for three minutes. The down stay for five minutes. The dogs are in the presence of other dogs and the handlers are out of sight. Oh, wow. So the handlers actually leave the ring. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Cranberry competed in graduate open, which is um, more like a, uh, not a, a beginning utility class before we actually completed our utility title, which we did just uh, just a little over a week ago now. You did? Yes. Wow, congratulations. So, thank you. In the utility class, the dog does a healing exercise 
but instead of having verbal commands, the dog is only given hand signals. And at the end of the healing, the dog is given a, a signal to stand, and the handler leaves the dog in a standing position, walks away from the dog, turns around and faces the dog, and from a distance of about 45 feet, the handler gives signals to the dog to lie down, to sit, and then to come. And the dog comes and sits in front of the handler, and then the handler goes around to heel position. Mm-hmm. Following that is a scent discrimination where the dog picks out an item handled by his handler, which is put in a random order um, with other uh, articles, they're called articles, mm-hmm. that the dog finds the one um, scented by the handler. Mm-hmm. There are eight articles that are out in, in basically a pile, but they're six inches apart. And uh, half of them are leather and half of them are metal. And they're numbered just so you can identify which one the dog has. Mm-hmm. And so the dog does that twice. He picks out one metal article and then one leather article on each time out. Oh, interesting. Following that, they do what is called the directed retrieve where there are three gloves placed at about um, 25 feet from the dog, and um, there are a, there's a glove in each corner and one in the middle of one end of the ring. And so the judge, judge has the handler face away from the uh, gloves, and then he says the gloves are numbered one, two, or three, and then he says, send your dog to glove number, and then he'll list one of the gloves. Mm-hmm. And so then you turn to face the glove, and then send your dog to fetch it. Mm. And then there is a moving stand where um, the, the handler and the dog start together in heal, healing. And then after a few steps, the judge says, leave your dog. And so while you're in motion, you have to tell your dog to stay mm. and continue moving yourself. Mm-hmm. So the dog has to lock up in a stay. Mm-hmm. After that, the handler or the judge goes and uh, does an examination over the dog. And it's a little more thorough of an exam compared to the one done in office, where the judge can put both his hands on the dog and run his hands down their legs. Mm-hmm. And then when the judge is done, he instructs the handler to call the dog to heel instead of call the dog straight front. Mm-hmm. And this, and, these what you're describing are part of utility, yes, which yes. is what you just, what Cranberry just titled in for the first time a week ago? No, she fin- well, she finished her title. Finished her title. And she had to get three... Three passing scores. Okay. And so if after, you're... The, after the, um, the moving stand exercise is the um, directed jumping. And in the uh, ring, there are two jumps, one solid jump and one bar jump. Mm-hmm. They are placed fairly close to the long sides of the ring. The handler first has to send the dog away from him or herself down to the far end of the ring. And when the dog gets... Um, fairly close to the other end of the ring, the handler tells the dog to sit. And so the dog turns and faces the handler and sits. And then the judge will tell you what jump you're supposed to send the dog over, the uh, bar jump or the left on the left or right, or the high jump on the left or right, depending on how the ring is set up. Mm. And so the handler sends the dog over one of the two jumps, and the dog jumps and comes into the handler. And then the process is repeated for the second jump. It's interesting to hear as you talked about your process with Cranberry. And if you're just tuning in, Janine Prindle is talking about uh, kind of going through the description of what all is involved in a in finishing a utility title. Um, 
which is that under the category of competition obedience or yeah. is it a it is yeah, okay it is. it's a co- and, part of competition and it's um you know she's done this with cranberry who is her guide dog uh janine is visually impaired and cranberry is janine's guide dog and she's just finished her utility title which is what she was all just going through um with cranberry last week and uh now you guys will both be competing again this week at the seattle kennel club dog show as well that's true but we're going to do a different class uh-huh um i had cranberry entered in utility just in case we didn't pass right. last week yep but i have moved her up into a class called versatility and it's a combination of novice open and utility the judge selects two exercises from each level, novice open and utility, oh. and the dogs then have to remember back into their beginning stages of obedience to do the novice ones, Yep. and then they have to do two of the open classes and then the two utility classes. Okay. And actually, she has one leg out of the three that she needs uh-huh. in versatility. It's like throwing in some long division when you're learning calculus. Yes, yeah, like exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... Um, so you guys are competing uh, this uh, this weekend, and now I understand, unless anything has changed, that you will be competing bright and early. Yes, our class is scheduled <laughs> to start at 8 o'clock in the morning. Wow. So well, we will be done promptly because there's only two that I know of, handlers mm. in that class. Mm-hmm. And do you see all types of dogs, um, you know, competing in this type of thing? Oh, oh yeah. It's the kind of class for any breed of dog or mixed breed. Mm-hmm. The AKC allows mixed breeds to participate in obedience trials and other performance events. Yeah, that's wonderful. Oh, I think it's great, too. Yeah. And it's so, it's just, I mean, the pro- people who are listening who have pet dogs who maybe, you know, haven't really done too much training or maybe feel like their dog is even... Uh, unmanageable at times are probably listening to you go through all of these very specific, uh, you know, uh, events within this, uh, within this work, Uh, you know, uh, are they called tasks? They're called exercises. Exercises. Okay. Because I know task would be for an assistance dog. So for all of these different exercises where you're going through you know, all the things that you just described. And if you're just tuning in, you can catch this entire interview on our website, dogradioshow.com, also on iTunes as a free podcast. So you're going through and people are just like probably thinking, oh my gosh, there is no way that my dog could do that. And, you know, my expertise is in training and behavior for pets. And one of the things that I find, and I've said this a lot on the show, is that People don't give dogs enough credit in general. Oh, really? That's so true. Yeah. I mean, you know, someone might think, oh, well, that dog can do it. You know, she's a, she's an assistance dog or, you know, but really, I mean, people are doing all sorts of uh, amazing things, whether it be something related to competition obedience or nose work or agility or whatever, that all dogs really have this amazing capacity to work with us. And and by by working with your dog in whatever field you choose, just develops the bond between you and your dog. And you become so much closer, and the dog just is so much more in tune to the handler. And so much more balanced and calm in their life. And happier, I believe, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, well, hold that thought, Janine. We're going to take a quick break. The Seattle Kennel Club Dog Show this year is Saturday and Sunday, March 12th and 13th. Can't wait. Look forward to seeing you there. 
We'll be right back. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their two stores in Burien and Kirkland, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your door. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. I'm Julie Forbes, and my first choice for my pet's food is the Natural Pet Pantry. It's the educated choice. This is Martha Norwalk, every Sunday morning beginning at 9 a.m. Thanks in part to Anti-Icky Poo, the product that gets the stink out, we cover the world of animals. This week, February 28th, it's a harmonic and energy shifting Sunday with Jude and Paul Ponton from Whispering Dragon in Seattle. They'll be in the studio with their acutonic forks, Tibetan bowls and bells, pua, didge, and rattles ready to do remote sessions for you, your animal friends, your home or business. Open phone lines throughout the show, so call in early. Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative. Talk AM 1150. Eric, people ask me to help them with all sorts of doggy challenges. I can only imagine. Oh yeah, dogs jumping on guests, new puppy questions, behavioral challenges like fear and aggression, even dog food sensitivities. You name it and I've probably worked with it. But can you help people even if they don't live in Seattle? Absolutely. I've had great success with phone consultations and have even Skyped with people and their dogs from all over the country. Every dog should be approached as a unique individual. I've talked about this over and over again on the show. That's one of the parts of working with dog training and behavior that I love the most. Every client is different. If you're listening and you need help with your dog, just get in touch. I'd love to get you pointed in the right direction and answer all of your questions. Email me, host at dogradioshow.com. That's me, Julie Forbes, host at dogradioshow.com. I look forward to connecting. Wait, dogs can use Skype? We're really living in the future. (laughs) No other station brings you this much variety. Welcome to Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. The Dog Show is back with Julie Forbes. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. And we are excited for this year's Seattle Kennel Club Dog Show, which is coming up in March, March 12th and 13th at CenturyLink Field Event Center. You can go to seattledogshow.org for more information about this event. That is uh, March 12th and 13th, Saturday and Sunday, 8 to 5 p.m. both days. We'll be there all weekend. Look forward to seeing you there. And if you do come by, be sure to stop by our booth. And we're going to come back to my interview with Janine Prindle from a few years ago. Enjoy. So we're talking uh, back, if you're just tuning in, with Janine Prindle, who is one of the competitors this weekend. And Janine is uh, unique because her dog that she's competing with is her guide dog. Janine is visually impaired, and uh, she's competing with her dog, Cranberry, who who is her guide dog. Cranberry is a seven and a half year old yellow lab. And uh, Janine, now you and Cranberry, we think, um, just sort of, uh, I don't know if broke a record is really uh, accurate, but you, uh, we believe, are the first, that Cranberry is the first guide dog ever to have a utility title. Yes, I believe she's the first working guide dog that has ever had a utility title. Yeah. And that's pretty exciting to have the first one that I 
I believe. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the AKC doesn't keep track of things like that. Right. But I've checked through Guide Dogs for the Blind, mm-hmm. and I'm the first one that has had a working guide dog through them. I um, did check on some of the other dog guide schools to see if they had any dogs that completed utility um, titles, uh-huh. and they they have had, like, career change dogs, dogs that didn't make it as a guide dog. Right. Maybe go on and, sure. and uh, get a utility title, but um, not any of the working dogs. Yeah. I have a friend in California with a seeing eye dog, which is basically the same as a guide dog, just a different school. Yep. And uh, she has a CD and a CDX on her dog, but she has working certificates. And I believe she ha- has the first dog with a working certificate. But she... I heard from somebody she's starting to work on a utility title. Mm. So I don't know. I may not be the only one for very long. Mm-hmm. Well, the first is pretty cool. <laughs> and I mean, just that you're doing it anyway. And really anybody that's doing this type of work, you know, competitive work, the level, you know, like you said in the last segment, Janine, the what it does for the bond, the relationship. What it does for the dogs, because dogs, you know, dogs and people have been living together for at least 30,000 years. And that relationship has been really working together until really relatively recently. And, you know, a lot of dogs now are unemployed, essentially, (laughs) and don't have anything to do. They don't have anything to think about. Yeah. Well, it is a common bond between the two, and it does Mm -hmm. seem to strengthen the bond. Now, tell us, what did it do for you and Cranberry? You know, what did you notice? Because Cranberry is your first guide dog, correct? Okay, she is. So did you notice, I mean, I know you kind of started as soon as you could, basically. You waited, you know, an appropriate amount of time to get settled in with her as your guide dog. And then when you felt that was ready, you know, that she was, you guys were kind of squared away. You went on and started going into these other uh, you know, competition obedience classes. Right, right. Did you notice, um, you know, or if you had to speculate, what sort of impact this work has done for her as your guide dog? Well, one of the things that I've noticed is that because I practice with obedience with lots of distractions, yep. her guide work goes, and there can be all kinds of distractions, and she can ignore those really well. And that's a huge bonus for me. We can walk by barking dogs, and she might take a quick little look, but it doesn't affect her pace or anything as we move by them. Um, there can be a pigeon in the road, and mm. oh, she'll just think, this is another distraction, another setup for me. Right. And she'll go and just walk right past that without hardly right. even looking. Right, because so. if she's looking out for, you know, cars or branches or things that might be dangerous, she can't be seeing a bird or squirrel and, oh, and go chase it. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one of the real benefits that I've noticed with the competition obedience. Um, there are some um, drawbacks as well. I have to give an example. Uh, last weekend when I was earning my last leg of my utility title, I was standing getting ready to do the first exercise, the signal exercise in obedience. And the judge looked at me and he said, are you ready? All judges do that. And I said, Ready. And then he said, no, you're not. And I looked down to see my dog had already started without me. So (laughs) she's pretty smart. She knew it was coming next. Right. And that she was anticipating that. And so (laughs) the judge went ahead and let me get resettled so I could start again in a proper fashion. Right. She's like, I know the drill. I'll just go ahead and do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, for 
for the first uh, two years of her life, she was kind of in charge of what we were doing, although I was directing her. She was the one in charge. Mm -hmm. And once she started competition obedience, then it's more I'm in charge. Yeah. Um, I was always, I was calling the shots for what we were doing. Mm -hmm. So she had to get a, a bit used to that. Yeah. So, and also to be, you know, for you to be mindful of, you know, when, when she's working as your guide dog, that you are clear to her, you know, this is, these are my expectations for you here. Exactly. And then, but when we're, you know, I assume she knows, of course, contextually, you're in a ring, you're, you know, you're in a training facility or. Of course, when she's a guide dog, she's wearing her harness. Right. She's wearing a different uh, leash than I use when I'm in competition obedience. Yep. And so, and and no harness and and just the leash and, and one collar when she's in obedience. Yeah, and that's an interesting uh, interesting thing. I know for when I was doing nose work classes with my dogs um, that you, you know, you, ha- you have their regular leash and collar, and then when they're getting ready to work, you put on a harness, you take the collar off, you do use a different leash, and the dogs know. I mean, exactly. the, you know, the, yeah. dogs, the dogs, again, dogs aren't given enough credit. You know, they, they know what's going on, you know. Yeah, yeah. Paying attention. Do. And it's so cool. Um, now you had you have titled other dogs in your past. I mean, you have an extensive history of working with dogs um, in these exercises. How have uh, now? When did you become visually impaired? Well, I was diagnosed with the eye disease in 1980, uh-huh. but it was very slow progressing, and I wasn't declared legally blind until um, 2006. And uh, then I got cranberry in 2007, so I spent about a year using a cane and, and learning how to really maneuver mm-hmm. with a cane. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was actually driving up until about 2005, and I probably should have stopped driving before then, but I hadn't been told I was legally blind <laughs> until right. 2006. Right. So um, thank goodness there was never an accident or anything. Yeah. But it was just kind of a slow process. Yeah. Um, and how have you noticed since you had been, you know, how long has it been since you've been doing this type of competition obedience with dogs in general? Well, um, I've had dogs since I was eight years old. Yeah. And uh, I, my first real show dog was a flat-coated retriever. She was a champion utility dog. Uh-huh. And my second dog, which was her son, was also a utility dog. Uh-huh. He was championship-pointed but he hadn't finished a championship. Okay. And then my third dog was a champion and obedience trained through utility, but he never finished his UD. Uh-huh. He just had a CDX. Okay. And then by then I decided I was going to try something a little bit smaller. So my next dog was a Nova Scotia duck tolling retriever. Yes. And I had him when I started um, really that I was losing my vision, uh-huh. and he had a utility title, and I was training him in agility, and I had a really bad accident because I didn't see one of the um, obstacles, mm. and I fell over it, mm. and um, after that, I told myself, I have to quit. I don't see well enough to do this anymore. I have to quit. Mm-hmm. A few months later, a friend asked me um, what, what, what I was doing in agility with my dog, and I said, oh, we quit because I had this accident, and she said, I'll run him in the ring. And so without even practicing, she ran him in the ring and put five agility titles on him. Wow. So I was really proud of him for that. Yeah. And then after that is Cranberry. 
Yeah, and now you guys are just uh, taking it and running with it with all these titles. <laughs> yeah, I think once we finish our uh, versatility title, though, I think we're going to slow down and maybe just do like the Labrador Retrieval Retriever Specialty, which um, yeah. our lab club is hosting the national specialty in October. So I'm hoping to make that and cool. have her compete in that just for fun. And will that be locally? Yes. Cool. So. And... Um, how have you noticed, if at all, um, your your experience working with dogs in the in the capacity of training changed for you as you became more and more visually impaired? I mean, did have you noticed that other senses have strengthened? Oh, perhaps with my current dog, not Cranberry, but my pet dog. Yeah, um, I have a bell on him, so I can hear him when he's walking with me and healing, and I can't actually look and see him. Right. I have to kind of look where I'm going. Right. And so I've done that. Um, my training um, organization that I work with, Family Dog Training Center, um, has been wonderful. Kathy Lang, my instructor, has really gone out on a limb to help me get through everything I need to do to get Cranberry trains through utility. Mm-hmm. And uh, my friends that work with me at the training center have just been marvelous. I, mm-hmm. I give them a lot of credit for all the help that they've given me. Yeah, that's wonderful. So, Janine, we've had just such a wonderful interview. Um, We've talked about your experience with Cranberry when you were first paired together, um, you know, learning how to work with her as your guide dog, and then uh, talking about your your work with her in uh, competition obedience classes and, and that whole... Uh, you know, several years of training that yes. that you have put in. Um, and that's something for people who may be feeling overwhelmed by all of the um, exercises that Janine was outlining in the second segment, is that this this is all built, right? So, you know, you don't get to this point in a month. No, it's hours and hours and literally years. <laughs> years of work. And Cranberry is seven and a half years old. And Janine has titled many other dogs in her past as well. And and this is really, if this is really this type of work is speaking to you, you can do this with your dog. You yeah, know. any dog could do this. Yeah, it's uh, it's open to anybody who's got the interest in mixed breeds as well, which is so awesome that AKC has opened up these performance events t- oh, uh, I agree, to mixed, yeah. mixed breeds as well. And um, before we let you go, Janine, uh, well, first of all, again, uh, you did look up that the uh, obedience and rally rings. Yes are rings 21, 22, and 23. Yes. And if you want to see Janine and Cranberry, uh, they are competing bright and early, first thing at 8 a.m. And uh, the dog show, the Seattle Kennel Club dog show, goes from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. both Saturday and Sunday. And Janine and Cranberry will be um, competing both days uh, before we go, Janine, just wanted to, um, you know, speaking for Cranberry as a working dog, as a guide dog, uh, to make sure to let everybody know to never interrupt a working dog out in public. Yeah, that's true. Um, it's very distracting for a working guide dog or any kind of service dog. If people come up to the dog and start talking to them and people mm-hmm. start barking at them, whistling at them, making noise, here, kitty, 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 you know, all those different kinds. It's um, even distracting to be looking at the dog because, you know, if you're looking at the dog, then they want to look back at you, and that takes their their, um, 
concentration off their job just momentarily. Yeah. And who knows what danger could happen in that moment that the dog's for yeah. not paying attention for a moment. <laughs> so if, if when I'm out or when you see another dog guide working, uh, please leave them alone and let them do their, do- their yeah. job. Yeah. And if you do want to know more about the, the dog, ask the handler. I love to talk about my dog. Sometimes it's not convenient, but if it is convenient, I'm mm-hmm. more than happy to talk. Yeah. So you're really you're really supposed to just pretend like the dog is not there. Correct. That's absolutely right. Um, I can't. I've had some experience while working with uh, assistance dogs in training through Healing Allies, mm-hmm. and I have had people bark at me. Oh, isn't that frustrating? It makes me want to put my head through a wall. I'm like, who does that? Seriously? You're going to bark at me? Yeah. I mean, it blows my mind. I mean, and it's, it's just like people are trying to distract the dog. Yeah. And that's oh very frustrating gosh. when people try to do that. It really is. So, you know, just be considerate and respectful of the work the work that the team is doing. And um, another thing, too, is I, sometimes people will say, oh, I know I'm not supposed to, but I, ha-, you know, and then they'll go and pet the dog. And it's yeah, like, okay, yeah. you just said, you know, you're not supposed to. <laughs> that's very distracting to the dog as well. Yeah. Any kind of physical contact. Yeah, absolutely. And really just pretend like the dog is not there. As hard as that is, I know it's hard to, you know, people who love dogs, and I certainly feel this way when you see a dog, especially a dog where there aren't normally dogs. It's like, oh, there's a dog. Oh, you know, yeah. you want to go say hi, but really, you know, restrain yourself and uh, and respect the work that they are doing and just yeah. don't well, interrupt thank, them. Thank you for bringing that up. That's yeah. a really important part of uh, using a guide dog. Yeah, for sure. Well, Janine, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank it was you. great fun. Looking forward to the Seattle Kennel Club Dog Show this year, March 12th and 13th at CenturyLink Field Event Center, uh, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. both days, and it's a new show each day, so there will be a Best in Show awarded at the end of each day. We're going to have a booth there. Uh, the Dog Show with Julie Forbes will have a booth there. Um, right in the middle of of everything, pretty much on the main floor. Uh, Be sure to come by and say hi and grab yourself a free car sticker and some candy. And uh, we're also going to be doing some giveaways, so that's going to be a lot of fun. You can go to seattledogshow.org for more information about the show. Maybe you want to look up and see when a particular breed is showing or, or a particular demonstration. Those are going on all day as well. It's a really fun event. So again, that's this year, March 12th and 13th at CenturyLink Field Event Center. Uh, SeattleDogShow.org is the website. We'll be back next Wednesday, live from 2 to 3 p.m. Thanks for listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. been listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, Wednesday afternoons at 2 on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. Never miss another episode. Listen to our podcast online at dogradioshow.com or download them for free on iTunes or SoundCloud. Eric, people ask me to help them with all sorts of doggy challenges. I can only imagine. Oh yeah, dogs jumping on guests, new puppy questions, behavioral challenges like fear and aggression, Even dog food sensitivities, you name it, and I've probably worked with it. But can you help people even if they don't live in Seattle? 
Absolutely. I've had great success with phone consultations and have even Skyped with people and their dogs from all over the country. Every dog should be approached as a unique individual. I've talked about this over and over again on the show. That's one of the parts of working with dog training and behavior that I love the most. Every client is different. If you're listening and you need help with your dog, just get in touch. I'd love to get you pointed in the right direction and answer all of your questions. Email me, host at dogradioshow.com. That's me, Julie Forbes, host at dogradioshow.com. I look forward to connecting. Wait, dogs can use Skype? We're really living in the future. <laughs>